as you're uh, having a seat this morning. We are kicking off today, not really kicking off, we're in week two, I guess, last week's snowstorm we kicked off. Week one, we're in a special sermon series now for basically the rest of the spring, a sermon series entitled Real Issues, Real Answers. And uh, basically what we're doing this week and for the rest of the spring is pretty simple. We're going to the counselor's office. Because here's the reality. Everybody in this room should be at the counselor's office. You all need counseling. Most people are unwilling to admit they need counseling. Most people are ever willing to actually go to counseling because of the stigma attached to it. But the reality is, if we are honest, we've all got issues that need working through. And counseling would do us really well. So our goal over the next couple of weeks and months is to enter into the counseling office. I'm not a licensed counselor. Our goal is not to get personal and share feelings in this room, but to look at some objective truths of how they would affect issues that we do need to get counseling for. These big issues that are present in all of our lives in one way or another. Our goal is to dig down and get some practical help. How I'm preparing for this series is each week what I'm doing is I'm reading two books on each issue. And so each issue, what I do is I read one book by what I would label a conservative evangelical Christian, someone that believes exactly like we believe, believes the Bible has God's word, believes that Jesus is the ultimate answer. At the same time, I'm reading a book by what we would call a modern liberal. Now, when I say liberal, don't think of politics. But a modern liberal is is someone who would believe the Bible's more of a storybook and has some truths but is not completely true, would be one that maybe says Jesus is part of the answer but not the whole answer. So I'm trying to read from two perspectives on each issue to kind of see where we maybe have some blind spots but also to try and be able to speak into blind spots that exist in our lives because we're living out in the world. And so each week we're wrestling with a different issue and we're giving you the opportunity to ask questions. And so in your bulletin, you'll see a spot there where you can tweet or text in questions about the sermon. You can do it right now during the sermon, and I'll try and ask it, answer it right now during the sermon, or you can ask it during the week, and I'll answer on the website. We want this to be interactive as we start looking at an issue, and you've wrestled with it, just ask questions that you've dealt with regarding that issue. This morning, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2 in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, it's after the book of Psalm and Isaiah Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. Jeremiah 2, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness? in a land that none passes through and where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. 
The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care, see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though there are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word this morning. Ask now that you take your word and speak to us. Ask that you comfort us where we need comfort. Ask that you encourage us where we need encouragement. And ask that you correct us where we need correction. I pray that today, O Lord, there would not be a burden of guilt on us. Lord, but that we would experience freedom that you desire for us. Give us understanding and application. In Jesus' name, amen. Joy, peace, contentment. I think we could agree on on those things that we all want them. Everyone is pursuing joy, peace, contentment, or another way of looking at it, everyone is pursuing an equilibrium, a place of, of balance where even in the midst of chaos, there is some rest. All of us here today are pursuing that joy and that peace. The problem is not in the pursuit of joy, peace, and contentment. The problem is in the pathways that we choose to get the joy, the peace, and the contentment. And sometimes it's these pathways that we choose that create traps. And then we begin to live in these traps. Or in other words, as we pursue joy, peace, and contentment, what ends up happening as we choose certain pathways, we begin to have a new master that doesn't have the name Jesus. And if any time we're pursuing joy and peace and our master does not have the name Jesus, the end result is not going to be joy, peace, or contentment. It may be momentary flashes of gratitude, but it will not be eternal joy, peace, or contentment. You see what happens when we begin down these pathways and we find these traps, things that we enjoy once and then enjoy twice and then can't stop enjoying and then no longer enjoy but can't stop doing it, we're now in addiction. Addiction. It's a problem. It's a problem in our society. It's a problem in our families. It's a problem in our own hearts. And our goal this morning is not to be able to leave here with a finger that we can point at someone on the outside and say, you're addicted. We can all do that. Our goal is not to boast in the addiction of another where we're avoiding, but our goal is to take a finger and examine our own heart and our own mind so that we can see the patterns in our own lives and experience freedom that we can live free from addiction, and at the same time, also get help that we can live with peace when those around us are living in addiction. Addiction is very simply falling under a different master than Jesus Christ and continuing to listen to that master. Basically, you can put it this way. You are addicted when you keep going back to something, even if God's word says no or it's not beneficial. You're addicted if you keep doing the exact same thing 
and God says no, or, and this is the big one, or it's not beneficial to who you are as a person. Because we can find loopholes in where God says no. The Bible doesn't cover every topic, right? We can find something in the Bible where we we say, well, God doesn't say no to this. I can keep doing it. But the reality is, by keeping doing it, it's not benefiting us, and it's not benefiting those around us. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter we know as 1 Corinthians. This letter was written to a group of people that were just beginning to experience life with Jesus, what it would be like to follow Jesus. And so they had a lot of freedom. They could now eat stuff that they previously couldn't eat. And they were dealing with new religious systems that they were trying to get used to. So there was a lot of confusion. Sometimes they were doing stuff that was crazy, literally crazy, as you read 1 Corinthians. And then other times they were avoiding certain things that they could, didn't have to avoid anymore. And the Apostle Paul gives them some instruction. And the instruction he gives them is he says, hey, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So everything in Christ for us is permissible, but that doesn't mean that it's beneficial to me or to those around me. This morning, you're an addict and I'm an addict. If we keep doing things that God says no to or keep doing things that are not beneficial for us. I'm sure that you could point out today someone that's been in this cycle, but can you point out when you yourself have been in this cycle? There's a certain cycle that we fall into with addiction, and the cycle is identified by Ed Welch, who's a a counselor and and preacher and done a lot of research on the Bible and counseling and addiction. I've taken kind of his cycle and then added a couple of things to it from Jeremiah. He basically lays out that we fall into this cycle in addiction. The first thing is we start lying because we want to hide what we're doing from other people. So we're lying to other people, but then at the same time is we're lying to ourselves telling ourselves that, oh, this isn't that bad. So we start lying, and then after we start lying, what ends up happening is we can only lie for so long, and it's going to get noticed. Have you ever realized the difficulty of lying? Because you have to remember what you said the next time you talk to the person. The beauty of telling the truth is you don't have to remember what you said last time. But you're going to get caught in a lie. So you get caught in the lie, what happens? You start to blame. You start to blame society or other people. And so in that process of of blaming other people, what happens is this. You become the victim. And this is right where you want to be. Because as you start to give out blame, that means that someone or something is doing something to you and has put you in a position of victim that now says this. I have no choice but to do this. So now you're in the perfect position for yourself because you can justify what you are doing. So blame leads to being in the position of victim. And then after blaming someone and living in that position of being the victim, you just become completely blind to whatever you're doing is wrong. Why? Because you've bought in the lie yourself now that you've lived in it for so long. And you've also now become completely blind to it because you've got the victim mentality that says, I have no choice but to do this. And it's okay, because this is the way I am. So that victim mentality leads to blindness. I can see my own life in this pattern at different times. You're trying to get out of something. You can see that you fall into this pattern, you go through. And in the midst of it, you start blaming and you become blind to it. There's a major thing that we start to do. Ignore other people 
and isolate ourselves. If you're not getting along with someone at work, what's the easiest thing to do? Go to the drinking fountain at a time they don't go to the drinking fountain. Right? If you're in conflict with someone, what do you do? Just avoid them. And so when we're in the midst of struggle, what do we do? We start to ignore other people and we start to isolate ourselves. And the reason that we start to isolate ourselves is because we are the easiest people to lie to, is ourselves. So if we isolate ourselves from other people, I don't have to lie to anyone else but myself. So in this pattern, we ignore and we isolate. And then ultimately what this leads to, and it's throughout the whole thing, but it leads to an ultimatum, is that we end up having no fear of God. There's no thought in our mind at all to, well, what would God say about this? We're fearless in our behavior with whatever. We've lost all fear of God because we haven't started to live up to the consequences yet. And when you get to the point of no fear of God, you've gotten to the point that you are your own God because you're not willing to recognize a higher authority. And the moment you get to the point where you are your own God, you're in a deep pit, and it's a tough climb out. But this happens to us in our daily lives, and then this happens in very severe circumstances as well. For a moment, I think we can all say we find ourselves in different places on this circle at different times with different behaviors. The question is, do we allow ourselves to get in the cycle and just let it build? But now for another moment, think of the difficulty of living alongside this circle. So if you think of someone that's in the midst of this, constantly lying, constantly blaming, constantly blind, and constantly ignoring and isolating, think how difficult it is for that person that's in relationship with them constantly. The spouse of an addict. The child of an addict. The pressure just builds. And the pressure is real. And we've got to recognize this as a church, we've got to recognize the stress that people come under, not by, our own, not by our own doing, but sometimes by the behavior of others. We've also got to recognize this morning that sometimes the problem with the behavior is not what it's causing to us, but what it's causing those around us. In the city of Sioux Falls, what I've been searching for is a support group for loved ones of addicts. I think this is our next step as a church is to start some support groups for loved ones of people that have close family members or friends that have been living in the addiction of living in the cycle of addiction to provide encouragement and support. Because it's difficult. And we've got to learn how to empathize with people and come alongside people and encourage them and love on them. Because this circle doesn't just affect the people in the circle. This circle affects every circle it comes in contact with. This is the cycle right here that's so dangerous that we find ourselves in. But the core issue of this cycle, the core issue of addiction is actually idolatry. And idolatry is the central message of the Bible. It's the one thing talked about the most in the Old Testament we see here from this prophet and multiple other times where God's getting after his people for building idols. And then we find in 1 John, the passage that Paul read for us earlier, it finishes with one sentence. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. <laughs> what a weird way to end a letter. Keep yourselves from idols. Why? Because 
John, writing 1 John, knows that it's the central issue. That the central issue is, do you have the Lord your God in first place in your life? Idolatry is the central issue. And the issue with idolatry, you could say, is creation confusion. Idolatry is when we take a created thing and we put it in the place of the Creator. So what's happening in idolatry, you're either building something or you're taking something that you've been given and you're making it in the place of God. And there's two problems with idolatry. And this is what I'd like you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah 2. And look at this specifically. What is the central issue with idolatry? There's two issues with idolatry. Jeremiah chapter 2. Look with me if you would at verse 13. So the prophet, God is giving the prophet the message here. And he's kind of laid out, you know, hey, your people have just done all of this stuff. Now he gets to the heart of the message. He says, For my people have committed two evils. Two evils. The first evil is this. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. The first issue with idolatry is that we run from God. That we've turned our backs on God and said, basically, God, you don't exist. Your voice doesn't matter right now. I mean, this is the first problem with idolatry is that we turn our backs on God and begin to ignore God. The prophet says it this way, you've forsaken God, which means that really, the reason they use the word forsaken is because they know that there was a previous relationship. So God had established a relationship, and now the people of Israel had forsaken that relationship. In other words, they've just turned their backs on it. And this is true for every human being. Because every human being is created in the image of God. So you were created for a relationship with God. And the same word can be used for us, forsaken. When we have an idol, we forsake God, our creator, the one who created us to be in relationship with him. So the first issue with idolatry is that we turn our backs from God, we run from God. But there's a second issue. The second issue is right there in verse 13. He says, the second thing, hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, he's using the the visual of wells here of water. So the first problem was the people left the true well where the true water was. They, They left that well, and now they got to the real heart of the problem. They've started digging their own wells, looking for their own water. The second part of idolatry is that we start to trust ourselves. Did I lose myself there? Yes. We begin to trust something or someone else for that which only God can give. So we not only turn our back on God, but then we put something in the place of God. So in other words, what I do is I say to shopping or to money, hey, give me satisfaction that ultimately only God can give. So I'm trusting that that activity or that thing is going to give me only what God can give. Why do we have such an issue with going and going back to um, a bottle or going back to a cigarette or going back to whatever it might be, pornography? The reason that we do it is because we go back to it because it gives us a sense of equilibrium in that moment. It's a known thing where we think we're going to find relief. So actually, we're looking for relief from that which actually only God can give. In idolatry, we're committing two evils. Running from God and putting something else in the place of God. So think of it this way for a second. 
Let's think for a second. We knew someone that really was unhealthy and uh, needed to stop drinking Mountain Dew in order to help solve the problem. And so let's pretend for a second that we knew someone that needed to stop drinking Mountain Dew and the doctor said, hey, the goal here is to get overall health. And we'd all agree with that, right? We all want to be healthy. So the doctor says, hey, you need to stop drinking Mountain Dew. It cannot be your only beverage. And so, oh, okay, this person's like, doctor, you make a lot of sense. A lot of logic coming from you. And you got a couple letters behind your name, and I pay you, so hey, I'm going to trust you. I'm, not, I'm kind of pretending this is what a person would say. And, and so they would say, okay. So then they would give up the Mountain Dew, right? We're good to go. Go back to the doctor, and the person says to the doctor, hey, doctor, I haven't had a Mountain Dew in a month. I've kind of thrown a couple Dr. Peppers. I've got some juice. I've got some lemonade. Ah, it's been fabulous. No more Mountain Dew. Have we solved the problem? The doctor, I think, I'm assuming, would say the following. You can't just stop drinking Mountain Dew. You also have to have 64 ounces of water every day. You see, the the problem's not just the Mountain Dew. The problem is that what? To have a healthy system, you have to have water intake and a certain amount of water intake. I mean, I've just been studying this stuff on the internet. I don't know. (laughs) Right, though? You want your body to be healthy. And health is not going to come by just saying no to something. You've also got to say yes to something else. And this is the central problem in our lives. We haven't just said no to God. We've started to say yes to something that's unhealthy when we actually need to say yes to the true answer. This morning, some of us have been saying no to certain things, but we haven't started saying yes to the right things. And until we say yes, we actually just continue to live in that circle at a different rate of speed maybe and at different level of consequences, but we continue to live in that circle. We've just modified our behavior a little bit to the point where we can live with it and those around us can live with it. But God's desire is that we don't just modify behavior, but that he has our whole lives. In our whole lives, we have that joy, that peace, and that contentment. So what should we do? Well, there's real application, there's real steps that we can take. The first one is this. If I'm in an addiction, if I'm in it, the first thing I need to do is acknowledge it to someone. This should ring true. I mean, this should ring familiar. This was the first action step last Sunday. There's a theme here because there's a theme in the Bible, a theme of confession. The best thing we can do is get something out in the light. This last week, my wife had teacher conferences, and so I thought I would do something kind of husbandry to to lift her spirits during the time of uh, parent-teacher conferences. And so it kind of got to the point where we got five lights in our bathroom, kind of got to the point where now only one was left working. But... I mean, my rationale is we're saving energy, so we might as well save some more until we're down to the bare minimum. So I thought, hey, I'll change the lights. So I got the four bad ones out, put it in, it is bright thing, thing. And, and I mean, I kind of look good already, so it didn't help me prepare in the morning. But um, what I, the problem was this. What I noticed is not me. I noticed the dust on the light fixtures themselves. I was like, oh, Wow. So I was like, okay, now we've got to clean these things. But then not only that, I was kind of like, I better check the fixtures in the kitchen. So I go out and I look in the fixtures in the kitchen, and it's a bad thing. Okay, all of that came to fruition 
by turning on the light. You see what happens when we turn on the lights? Stuff in the darkness comes out, and now all of a sudden you can start having some healing. So last night, I'm washing fixtures in the kitchen sink. It doesn't happen unless you turn on the lights. It's the first thing all of us need to do. Acknowledge it. And if you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Within 12 hours. You've got 12 hours from right now to acknowledge it. Otherwise, you will not acknowledge it. And we all know this. We've all been to places where we've gotten excited and been like, oh, I want to change. We go home, start watching football, sit down for our meal, do some work, wake up the next morning, nothing's different. You've got 12 hours from right now to acknowledge it to someone or you won't acknowledge it at all. So you need to call someone this afternoon. You need to text someone, email someone, Facebook someone, get on your horse and ride to someone's house, whatever you do. You need to tell someone in the next 12 hours. So if you're in it, the very first thing we can do is acknowledge it. But what about if we're around it? If we're around addiction, there's three things. We can need to confront thoughtfully, we need to remain a consistent presence, and we need to bring others around. We need to confront people thoughtfully. What I mean by that is this. We don't need just emotional outbursts of confrontation. It doesn't work. So there's three things about confronting thoughtfully. The first is this. You need to practice your confrontation. This sounds weird to say, right? I'm going to practice my conversation before a conversation? But we don't confront in life very often, so it's so weird to us. We need to practice it so that we can come in prepared and thoughtful and kind and gentle so the emotions don't get the best of us. There would not be a single athletic team that would go into an event without practice. If an athletic team is practicing for an event that doesn't matter, how much more should we practice for something that could literally be life or death? Practice your confrontation with someone else. Let them give you feedback on things you should say or ask. The second thing on confrontation is this. Don't confront in the midst of foolishness. Right? So if you've got a friend that's got a shopping addiction, I said that, shopping addiction, and now I'm in some of your neighborhoods. If you've got someone with a shopping addiction, the time to confront them is not while you're shopping together. It doesn't work to confront in the midst of the foolishness. You've got to have a time when there's at least a little calmness around. So you've got to practice your confrontation. Don't confront in the midst of the foolishness. And then thirdly, is don't use generalities. So you don't go up to someone and just say this, you're a shopaholic. You know what they respond with? I'm not a shopaholic. Francisca's the shopaholic. You see, they can take the generality and they can define themselves outside of the generality. Why? You got a serious problem with anger. I don't got a problem with anger. Have you seen so-and-so? What you need to do is remove yourself from the general and get to the specific. So when you confront with someone, you need to be very specific and say, your behavior this did this to me. You need to share the effect of their behavior because then they can't neglect what their behavior has been doing to you or to someone else. It doesn't do good. All it does is raise the temperature level to walk around and say, you're an alcoholic. You've got to talk about the effects the alcohol is having on your relationship or on those around you. So we've got to confront thoughtfully and then we've got to remain a consistent presence and then write this down. Remain a consistent presence if safe for you. 
In the Bible, there's multiple times where Jesus is in trouble. The crowds are actually going to kill him. And what does it say Jesus does? Jesus escapes. If you're in the midst of a situation where there's addiction and your safety is at risk, it's completely faithful to God to leave that situation. If you know someone in that or you're in that, you don't have to feel guilty for leaving. If our safety's not at risk, though, we've got to be willing to be persistent in our relationship with that person because it's not going to take just one conversation. Because when you're living in that circle, it's a roller coaster. So you've got to be persistent and keep the relationship if it's safe. And then the third thing you've got to do is you've got to bring other people with you. And here's why. Because it's so draining on you personally. So draining on you personally. If you don't bring other people with you, you're not going to be able to stick with it. You're not going to be able to have the persistence of staying in the relationship. You've got to bring other people with you. If you're in the midst of the addiction, the very first thing that we can do and should do is admit the problem. Acknowledge it. If we're around those who have the addiction, we should confront thoughtfully, remain persistent in our relationship, and bring others around. At the end of the day, though, it all comes down to this. All of us, all of us, should go to the true source. It begins by all of us saying, I'm not just saying no any longer, but I'm saying yes to God. You see, if you stop the certain behaviors, all you're going to do is find other behaviors to try and find that joy, contentment, and peace, unless you go to the true source for your joy and your peace. So how do you go to the source? You go to the source simply by opening up the Bible, simply by gathering with other people. It's what God's laid out in the Scripture of how we live this life of faith. You go to the source by being honest with God. He already knows it anyhow. This morning, this is, the, this is it right here. Will we go to the source? When you leave here today, the question is not, are you going to be on a pathway pursuing peace? The question is, what pathway will you be on? I'd encourage you. You want an assignment for this next week? Find somewhere in the Bible where it says your desire for happiness or peace or contentment is bad. Nowhere does God that I can find condemn a desire for joy or happiness or contentment. The desire is not condemned. What's condemned is the different pathways that we take. This week, I think we should continue in our pursuit. We should take the right desires to the right source. The problem with addiction is that we're going with the right desires, but we're going to the wrong source. So this next week, keep the right desire, but this time, let's go to the right source. So the questions are very simple. Who or what will I go to for peace or relief? Who or what will I go to for peace or relief? Very simply, will I keep going back? God's not a one-time fountain. The nation of Israel learned that. You see, they had a big encounter with God. God freed them from mass problems. They thought, oh, we're set, one-time deal. And that's when God intervenes and says, whoa, 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 
This wasn't a one-time deal. You're supposed to keep coming back after me. Why have you churned and chased after worthless things? Jesus is not a one-time deal. He's not a one-stop shop for communion. Jesus says what? Come and follow after me. We're supposed to keep going back to Jesus. So, who or what will you go to for your peace or your relief this next week? And will you keep going back? Let us pray. Almighty God, creator of all that is good, we come before you this morning recognizing that we have taken many of your good things and made them destructive in our lives. God, we acknowledge the lies that we've said and the lies that we've bought. God, forgive us for the blame. Forgive us for the blindness. Forgive us for ignoring and isolating ourselves. God, I ask that you would restore in us a fear of you. Restore in us an awareness of your purposes and your presence. God, this morning I want to specifically pray for my heart, for the heart of others in this room that keep going back to the same well. God, I pray right now that you would reveal to anyone that is going to a well that's unhealthy or unbeneficial. God, make that known to each of us right now. And God, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would free us to go to the true source. God, thank you for your patience and your kindness this morning. Thank you for each person that's here. And Lord, I pray that each year would experience your peace today in the midst of the battle. In Jesus' name, amen.